0: Hello and welcome to Funny Business, a podcast for free thinkers. I'm Robbie
1: Hicks. And I'm Lockie Bradford. Uh, on today's episode, we have Matt Bowman from LinkedIn. What an absolute treat. Big, bad, bustling Matt, Matt Bowman. Bowman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is a ripping episode, man. Honestly, like we've wanted to get someone from LinkedIn for ages and who better than Matt Bowman, honestly? He's the guru. He's the head hype man, self-proclaimed. Self-proclaimed hype man. He's um He had a lot of tips and a lot of advice around LinkedIn and a few stories of his background and how he got into customer success. And um, yeah, honestly, like stay for the hour. It's a really good, good chat.
0: No wonder he's out there helping people use the product better. Is there anyone better to come and run a workshop than him? I don't think so. Me no think so. Me no think so. Hey, hope you enjoy. Listen up.
1: We're we're very excited, aren't we, Rob?
0: Locke's pumped your tires too from the time we first met you, and He's we've got to talk to Matt. We've got to talk to Matt. Well,
1: because I preach LinkedIn all the time, yeah. And I remember going to that workshop when I was back at Just Digital People and that you you I forget the other bloke's name who ran it with you, but Matt, maybe Matt? Another yeah, it was Matt. another Matt, yeah, yeah. We've
2: got a few of them. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well there you go. And and that was the first time I um, you know, met you and, and saw the sort of work that you do at LinkedIn. Um and yeah, we we've been big advocates for LinkedIn for bloody ages, I suppose. And was really good to get someone of your caliber and stature uh, on the podcast to talk about LinkedIn and your journey into what you do and a bit about everything else as well. So, uh, mate, we're, we're super excited to have a chat with you, mate, and uh, excited to get stuck in.
2: Mate, likewise. I think the, uh, I think the fangirl admiration is very mutual between us all, uh, d- despite the fact that uh, you feel like it's very one-sided. Um, I- I'm exactly the same. I, like, like I said, every time I see anything coming through on the pod... Uh, whether it's on LinkedIn, whether it's on Instagram, because I follow you on a couple of channels, which means I'm an extra extra deep fangirl. I, um, yeah, I, I, I just get a buzz from seeing it, from what you've put together and where you've brought it to. It's, it, it makes me super proud, like I said, even though I've had no involvement until today, I still feel proud seeing everything come through. What's been going on in your world? Mate, much like the rest of Melbourne, I've spent um, all of the long weekend celebrating our, our newfound freedom again, which has been fantastic. Um, the, the the weather picking back up's really helped as well. So I think um, I think much like the rest of the city, the last four months have been total survival mode for me. Um, it's been it's been a really hard period. I know you boys up in Torquay, you have felt an air of it, and like we were saying earlier, you've still had the disconnection from your mates and your people back home in Melbourne. So you may have not been in a hard lockdown, but you still felt it. It's um. Yeah, it's it's been it's been one of the strangest times I've, I've ever lived through. Working from home and and shifting my day to day. lock. you know what my day to day used to look like. It was um, it was being in rooms full of people, getting to facilitate workshops, getting to to be out in the field all day long. I um I don't think I had more than a fortnightly period last year not on a plane going somewhere. So. Um, my velocity year in review report's going to look really different this year to how it looked last year. And uh, I definitely think the platinum's gone, so I'll be sitting at the boarding gate next time I get on a plane, not in the lounge. But, uh, yeah, the, the landscape changing this year has just been ridiculous. And I think Melbourne's sort of put that into a petri dish because we've gone through the normal, you know, COVID-19 impact that the rest of the world went through. Um, and then I think we've sort of we gone into our own individual isolated circumstance over the last four months. So, it's um, It's been really difficult navigating through that while the rest of the world's ramping back up with recruitment because, as you know, I I, I support um, corporate enterprises and their recruitment strategies with LinkedIn. So it's been juggling a BAU workload, if not a busier-than-normal workload, with really, really abnormal circumstances in my own world, I guess. Wait, uh,
0: for a people person, how did you go with your work transitioning from being they the facilitate room, yeah. in the room with people to <laughs> sit in front of Zoom or sitting in front of whatever uh, communication tool you use in front of a camera. It must be a big changer.
2: It was, mate. It was. I think, um, I think, uh, I think we're all people people, right? We, um, we probably wouldn't be in the business or in the games that we've fallen into if we weren't natural people people. So, um, no, I, I think my biggest saving grace was knowing that everyone was going through the same situation. I feel like having the familiarity of being able to, Um, you know, we almost should have put an extra 10 minutes onto the start of every meeting initially through April just to talk about COVID and remote work and new normal, because that's what was cannibalizing every single meeting. Um, You know, it wasn't the agenda or what you had to talk to. Um, It was was connecting with someone else saying, I feel what you're feeling and I'm feeling it as well. Um, So I, I think that was my biggest saving grace. But keeping routine for me outside of what I usually routine um you know usually re- really really rigorous with keeping keeping it connected with mates seeing my family on a, on a certain cadence you know they they live in regional victoria um i think tr- trying to mirror some kind of normal in virtual circumstances was was the only way i got through really but uh uh, I, I definitely nearly lost it a couple of a couple of different times. It's been a lot of a lot of close down the Mac, and you know I can't be linked in Mac today days, or or even just switching off from Instagram or, or anything else. There's, uh, there's been a couple of black spots that I've just needed to, to go into survival mode and worry about me.
1: I think what you touched on earlier about not being the only one going through it and having that sort of common common issue around and having and and the importance of like talking about it, um, because you you do need to to it, like so many people are fighting private battles, you know what I mean? But when, when you have other people who experience the same sort of thing, you can sort of lean on each other and get yourself through. It's like the stronger together thing. So it's going to be interesting to see how these communities, you know, how they've survived and now they're going to thrive, you know, moving forward from the connections that they've made, especially with all the new technology and new ways of working like over the internet. It's just going to be interesting to see how the new sort of generation Mm. and how we're going to move forward and connecting like digital communities online and working remotely and, it's all just gonna keep going.
2: It's not going anywhere. It's not
1: going anywhere. Yeah.
2: No, no. It's it's. I mean, it's definitely here to stay. And like, like I said, you know, I usually average one week out of four um, uh, on the on the road, and I don't see, uh, I don't see that ever going back to that state. I think it will pick back up again. There'll be a need for in person um, c- connectivity. You know, it's a, we already feel the difference working remotely or connecting with people virtually for ten months. Um, there's already a gap there. We already need to fill that gap. So it will pick back up. But at what capacity? Um, I, I've got no idea. I don't think it will look how it did in the old world. I, I, for example, I don't think, you know, I'll be flying over to Perth to, to run informed sessions like, you, like what you come, in, to come to in the Melbourne office. Um, I, I think we'll really be, be rigid on what needs to happen, um, particularly when businesses are saving money with all that expense, but we're getting the same result and output. And there's going to be, have to be a fairly big justification to get that spend in there to get somebody in person when it can be facilitated virtually.
0: Mm-hmm. It's also been, I found a bit of a struggle, you know, working remote. Not I feel like we adjusted pretty well and we've been able to do all different stuff, but things take more time. Like you could just, when you're in person, things that you might have like a five-minute conversation by walking up and just tapping someone on the shoulder and talking about it. Like you've got a book in a time you got to sit down the conversation you can't you have to have some sort of version of small talk like you mentioned how things going like that 10 minutes
1: extra like you mentioned but you don't give yourself any time to context switch really and you just
0: well next thing you know you got like back to back to back to back to back booked all day and you're sitting in the same room and then
1: harder than you've
2: ever worked before yeah and
0: you're gonna walk out of the room and you're still in your same house go all right now switch off you know it doesn't yeah Yeah. go to bed go to bed now now. (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly
2: exactly you sort of slide away into your drawer and that's personal time right you switch out of work mode i think um and Robbie, I totally agree. It's 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 been you know a total reduction in in that water cooler. You know, I'm I'm all about the water cooler. I think, um, an office is the birthplace of culture, right? It's the beating heart of culture. Um, LinkedIn's known for its culture, so we um you know something it's a massive value prop for for candidates coming on board to LinkedIn. Something that keeps people enthused for years and years and years is our culture. where we're sort of celebrated and known for it globally and mirroring that in an online format has been really, really difficult. Um, But but to your point, you know, I I think you also don't have that energy and buzz that you get in the office. So I can switch in and out of work mode really easily If if I'm head down working on a deck for a couple of hours. I can surface back up and just get my cup refilled by somebody right near me and get a quick little draw on some human energy and then jump back into it, and that replenishes me. At the same time, I've really liked the purposeful conversations. So you don't connect with someone unless you do have an ask and unless you're quite clear on what you need. So I think that that's something that's gonna stay and, and, and gonna remain. I haven't sat to the end of an hour long meeting if I don't need to, if I can dial out 15 minutes earlier, that's quite okay. So I think that's sort of a, a little bit of etiquette around purpose has come in through virtual work. So I think that's something that we should try and keep there, you know, who needs to be in the room? Who needs to be in that conversation? Um, but, but to your point, just just having that ad hoc interaction and that energy circuit breaker has been a massive point of difference, yeah.
0: Otherwise, you're just relying on yourself. Like, you have to be full full motivation. All your energy is based on yourself. Turn up,
1: turn up. be you. You want to be in a good job. Yeah, you know?
0: turn yeah. on, yeah. turn yourself on for each each meeting. But like you mentioned before, culture virtually is, is something that we're, we've been talking about and interested to hear your perspective of what you've done for, uh, done there at LinkedIn. Because like you mentioned, like, Culture is is just formed between people. It's it's fluid. It, it continuously evolves. But having people disconnected and not seeing faces, and if you are having more purposeful conversations, it means that you're actually missing out on those conversations that you would just have ad hoc. So, what have you guys done to sort of keep the culture alive or keep keep things ticking along, making people still feel connected and that there is still a, a culture that exists there at LinkedIn?
2: Yeah, mate. Look, it's um, it's uh, you know, it's 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 the personality of an organisation, right? You know, culture is a collective personality, and I think um, at LinkedIn we've kind of got a couple of macro cultures. We've got sort of the LinkedIn global culture that is, um, you know, we get flown over to Vegas once a year, for example, and we have a, a week long, um, we call it sales kickoff. It's sort of our start of financial year week in Vegas. Um, so you know, ten thousand people from across across the globe with all of the Venetian and the Bellagio. And it's really easy to, to fuel company culture in a circumstance like that when you're spending millions and millions of dollars for getting us all to rally together. And the output of that is you fly at home and you are so amped up and ready to go. You know, you, you, you're like, I can't wait for my first meeting on Monday. Maybe not Monday, maybe Tuesday. But, you know, <laughs> you're really, you're so geared up and ready to go. So I think... Um, We've been really lucky because we've had such a blueprint. We, we we know what works well because we've got so many, for example, remote teams already. You know, global teams, um, a representative for Australia will only be able to connect with their colleagues at you know, a certain period of the day. And the rest of the day is, is autonomous work time. So we, we already had the blueprint that... I think, um, you know, the the LinkedIn global culture and then funneling that down to Australian LinkedIn culture, that's quite different to the rest of the world. We know we operate differently to other countries and other cultures. So there's sort of our macro culture within the global culture. Um, And then the Melbourne office is quite unique as well. You know, like you've been into our office, um, the, the way that it's decorated reflects Melbourne. The people in the office very much reflect a Melbourne personality and culture. So... Um, and we might be one of the smallest offices around the world, but um, the rest of the world actually um, pick up a couple of initiatives that we've started and different things that we've kicked off in Melbourne that's launched across 20 to 200 other countries that we're represented in, you know. So we're really lucky in that aspect. But I think from those layers, um, LinkedIn Australia did a really, really good job of just really regular touch points. So... And um, we were totally aware of the Zoom fatigue and burnout that people were having, you know, by sort of June, I think it had been June periods when the, the Zoom parties started to lose a bit of their magic and we started to say, I can't, look, I can't click on another I'm, not playing, I'm no, not playing trivia no. anymore. I'm not playing trivia anymore.
0: Our friendship group started doing like, week, all of a sudden they were doing like this trivia nights and everyone got cut at me because I said, fuck this, I never signed up to doing weekly trivia. I don't fucking like trivia. I don't want to do it. How am I spending my every Saturday night playing trivia? Everyone was like... You're ruining it. Okay. It was Sorry. in the video
1: just like a zombie, just like oh, I did. <laughs>
0: just walked off. It's not, it's not coming next week. Don't, don't organise another one, huh? You picked up on it
2: earlier. I, I call it the sourdough <laughs> phase. You know, the, the sourdough phase of lockdown was really lovely. I think that's where we had, you know, this global buy-in and it was something new that we hadn't been through before. It was kind of like when the power went out when you were a kid. You know, it was exciting for the first couple of hours and you got out candles and board games and then a few hours in, your brothers and sisters ran out of things to do and you're like, all right, we need the juice back on. You know, it, was, it, was that kind of, it was that kind of new feeling that, that you hadn't had before. I mean, after we got to that point um, and we got some freedom back in Melbourne, going back into the second lockdown and, and being part of the culture committee in Melbourne, um, we sort of knew that we were up against keeping a, an office full of, of, of very, very big extroverts and very big personalities that sit within, you know, a 50 head count office in Melbourne keeping the wind in their sails when we're going for lockdown round two. Um, we had to be fairly creative. We, we thought about things like, um, we did sort of a, we called it Melda Moments. Um, we mirrored Chris Kringle. We got people to sign up for if they wanted to be part of receiving an anonymous gift from a colleague. So, um, so just throughout a certain week in August, um, everybody got a knock on the door with a random gift for a thirty dollar value from someone that they work with, and vice versa. They sent a gift on to someone. So you know just little little things that we that we didn't have to throw much budget at, but that still reminded people that they were connected because that was the really big thing you know with um, getting through the first lockdown, still feeling connected as a company, as, an, as a country. I think the second lockdown was a massive challenge for us feeling connected as an office. So that was sort of the, you know, the different macro levels of, of culture that we had to, to be mindful of. But um, LinkedIn has been really great just by having a lot of connection opportunities, but none are committal. So, so there's a lot of opportunities to dial into a cup of tea or a morning huddle or, or afternoon drinks, but you don't have to, if you don't need to. So nothing being mandatory, but if you need some, some chatter in the background while you're working away doing emails, whatever it may be. Um, we've, been, we've been super rigid with keeping regular cadence and giving people an opportunity to connect if they want to.
0: Love
1: that. I like that. Just the casual approach too. Like some people definitely, like you said, might feel like they need to dial in and have that interaction. But some people might be thinking, I've worked so hard this week, I just want to chill out and have a wine and watch TV. And Exactly. Think, yeah, exactly. Being flexible and having that option. It's, it's yeah.
0: What about four to six o'clock on a Friday
1: night catch ups, huh? Oh yeah, that's nothing worse. Friday four to six, you you're penciled in. No worries, <laughs> mate.
2: Yeah, you, that's that's just where you block out the diary. It's just got to, it's just got to show busy from that time. I, yeah, I'm not sure who's booking in those meetings. <laughs> <God's> <laughs> sorry, mate. Really busy. <laughs> um, I,
1: you haven't checked my calendar. Sorry, find another time slot, huh? <laughs> oh, so can you give us a little insight into what you actually do at LinkedIn? I know you were saying earlier your mates are just like. You're the bloody hype man for LinkedIn, but I'm sure there's a lot more to that, and there's a there's a bit more to the craft.
2: It's um it's not my actual job title. I think it's just what, what any of my friends that see me on Instagram or on LinkedIn um it's it's probably the best way that they can put it. Um, like, you, 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 your background in digital recruitment um it's um with staffing agencies um, that one of the many customers that LinkedIn supports. So we're obviously we've got a very very big footprint in terms of um you know HR talent. Um, business development landscape so um, my job title is customer success which is um one of the top emerging job titles every single year we um we produce a, an emerging jobs report each year based on linkedin data um always get really happy to see my job title up in the top 10 most highly sought after or rapidly emerging job titles like um, and it's um it's reassuring right it's reassuring I to put edge into the right basket for the next 10 years or so at least um it's um It's a function that really only started to show its head probably 10 years ago when SaaS products became more prevalent, when they sort of created their own marketplace. I think when when companies um, took out offerings to the market of of a subscription web-based service, um, but their product was fairly complex, I think once they started to figure out the end user needed help with that complexity, that's where they figured out, wait, we do need to get some human intervention come in and help that end user connect to the product that they can use. So um, a lot of my job's really just inspiration. It's something that's already there that the user can use. They could go and find a help article or an instruction for but my job's to come in and sort of bridge that gap and, and make it exciting for them, show them something that was already available to them that they potentially already had somewhere in the background, but activating it and getting them to turn it on. So. I kind of liken my job to, uh, to, to if you're a business and, and you, you're using LinkedIn and using a LinkedIn solution to, to perform your recruitment or to, to showcase your employer brand, whatever it may be, that solution is the car that you've just purchased. Uh, you're in the driver's seat still. You as the recruiter or you as the employer brand manager, you're still in the driver's seat, but I'm just the, the premium fuel that goes into the tank to make sure the car's, the car's running smoothly. That's probably the best and simplest way I can explain my role.
1: Oh, you're making a lot of sense to me. Cause honestly, I, I think about that too. I'm like, what does actually customer success do? But I think the way you've just uh, explained that has made a lot of sense. It is, it's about the inspiration. It's about how you're going to use this tool. It's like, I think when I get a new mobile phone, I don't even look at the other features and stuff that it has. And I'm like, why are all these people got all these cool photos? And I'm like, maybe I just need to look at my fucking phone and just have a look and just <laughs> see what options I have, you know, like explore the platform, explore the tool.
2: You help, you help people welcome. get the most out of it. Exactly. Exactly. If you think about that analogy of your new iPhone 12 that's just arrived, and and there will be so many features in that phone that you you can use, they're they're, they're available for you right now, but you're not using. Um, it's it's probably the difference, but the point of difference for you between looking up an instruction list of how to activate that feature, versus watching a beautiful Apple keynote with Tim Cook standing up there on some multi-million-dollar screen show, talking about the features that that phone's going to unlock for you. So that's that's sort of the, the point of difference of what's going to excite, what's going to expire with a product mm. that we can use.
1: Yeah, and the trustworthiness, you know, what I mean, the the yeah, it makes sense. I
2: don't
0: sense. want to. It's also like the effort thing too. You know, mm. if I'm trying to figure out how to use things, I don't know which which. If I'm trying to Google or type in for help requests or look for articles, it's it's a lot of effort from someone who's just trying to use it. So I just want to use it now. You know, mm. I don't want to talk to someone. I don't want to just try and find my own information. I want someone to tell me <laughs>
2: how to do it, fix my problem. Yeah, you know? this is
1: my problem. How do I fix it? Yeah.
2: And I think, the, 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 you know, I've been with LinkedIn two and a half years nearly, which is, um, I, I still can't believe it when I say it. It I, I feels like it was, you know, a couple of months ago I was walking through the door up in Sydney. But from when I started in my role to now, the role itself has evolved so much. So so rather than, you know, being that, that technical help of here's an instruction on how you do something, um, my role in the space that I work in which is corporate enterprise so we're looking at you know all the big players that use LinkedIn I work with with around 80 companies across Australia and New Zealand and um, I now get to move into sort of a more strategic lens playing with those companies so um, you know for, for example if company X has got a really aggressive gender split target uh, going in and doing a diversity workshop on how we can not only source but also attract diverse candidates to our organization so um, it's moving into a into a, a sweeter gameplay than than what it was uh, when I originally started, which I absolutely love. It's it's been really fun seeing the role evolve, um, and, and it just builds my skill set every day. You know, there's um, there's some conversations that twelve months ago I didn't think I'd be having, and now I'm so well versed. You know, I feel like I don't even need to prep when I walk into them. So it's um, it's always interesting watching an evolution in that way and being a part of it. You know.
1: Oh, mate, you're going through it. You're doing it. That's absolutely insane. Like you said, you, that's a good lesson for anyone. You might get into a job and might be a bit technical and you might be looking at all this stuff and going, I need to do this. But the opportunities that come from that, like now you're sitting in the strategy role where you're going, hey, let's come up with workshops. How are we going to do this? Like that's exactly going. That's fun. That's the fun stuff, isn't it? It's like you literally, your your influence, your input is actually going out and, and making a difference and inspiring people. You're not just another cog in the machine you're actually doing the work and and you know getting the credibility and and working on fun shit we talk about it all the time Mm -hmm. like that's the fun part is just coming up with the different workshops the different angles um what are your problems figuring out the solutions that's cool
0: i like it what's that sorry mate how did you end up at linkedin
2: mate it's um it's uh it's 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 actually a really really um (laughs) Uninspiring story of how I came to, to join LinkedIn. My, my, my journey prior was, um, was really, really um, unique to the rest of my, my colleagues, I guess. I've got a fairly diverse background compared to most of the people that work at LinkedIn. Um, and I think that's that's mainly due to, to the talent acquisition team years ago making a couple of decisions on, on requirement changes that, they, that they'd need. Um, I, I'm a year 10 dropout, for example. I, I grew up in Bendigo and dropped out of school in year 10. Um, I, I, coming out in a small country town like Bendigo 15 years ago wasn't as easy as it perhaps would be now, 15 years later. Um, but uh, but uh, that caused me to, uh, was a straight A student, was a, was a, you know, a debating captain of, of my school. I absolutely loved school, loved English, loved environmental science, those kinds of things. Uh, dropped out of school and started making coffee. So that, that was my first role, was, was moving into a barista role when I was 16. And uh, I say role, I should say job. It was very much a Brewster job when I was 16. Um, and then moved up to Melbourne and, and got a job in a call centre, taking calls for Origin Energy. So that's where I sort of started. That's, that was my first real job, I guess. Um, and I kind of grew up there. I spent five years there. So I moved from, uh, from taking calls. When, when you're good at selling, it's assumed that you're going to be good at managing people who are good at selling. So that just immediately progressed me up into a leadership role after nearly 12 months. Um, and I played around there for a couple of years and just tried out different things. It was um, it was leading different teams for probably three years or so, and then moved into an L and D role. And I think that's where I found my sweet spot, um, having paid audiences every day, having people that physically were paid to sit in a room and listen to me every day. I thought this is perfect. This is what I need to do. Um, and 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 I guess that that's, that sort of built up a, a fairly blended skill set of of what I could look for down the track, but i um i was working for red energy which is a smaller electricity retailer they're based, based in richmond um, i've been with them for, for nearly three years i jumped over from origin and moved to them and actually met a british guy who lived and lived in sydney and fell in love with a british guy up in sydney and they don't move to melbourne they, they don't travel across the other side of the world to live in a smaller version of london so um it, it was kind of it was kind of my short straw to say i'm gonna have to move up to sydney so I um I, I set my open to work looking for opportunities up in Sydney, and the LinkedIn algorithm did a fantastic job and served up the customer success role to me one day. I'd I'd never heard of it before. It was a completely foreign function to me. Most people haven't. Um, like in any of our workshops, we usually spend the first five minutes explaining what the hell we do. Um, I, I think after I I did a little bit of research and um and there was actually a customer success event night that was happening in Melbourne when I was looking at the role. So. And um, One of my clients now, Culture Amp, was actually hosting uh, a customer success night, um, partnered with the Success Society, which is a little bit of a, a CS organisation that's based in Melbourne. Um, so I just jumped along to that. I felt like a total fish out of water. I put my name tag on, and everyone was like, "I work for HubSpot. I work for all these amazing tech companies." And I was like, "I'm final round interviewing for a LinkedIn role. Like, so I had no, absolutely no idea what to say, what to do. Big total fish out of water." Um, But but sitting through that night, there were probably an hour worth of content and speakers and different leaders of customer success from different businesses. Um, I kind of walked out of that and thought, all right, I found out what I'm going to be doing, whether it's with LinkedIn or another company, this is what I want to get into. Um, Very luckily, um, jumped through five rings of fire for the interview process at LinkedIn. It's definitely not easy to get in. Um, Once you're in, you're in, though. That's fantastic. So... (laughs) i um yeah i I put my blood, sweat and tears into an application process and uh, and every single phone call or text that came through, um I was almost as nervous as looking at the election vote count at the moment, just feverishly waiting for an update but um but yeah that was that was sort of um I guess the planets really fell into line that I needed a roll up in Sydney and not only found a role with a a company that I never thought it'd be possible to work with or for, frankly but also almost figuring out where, where the next step in my career journey was. So it's, it, it, it sounds too good to be true, but it li- literally fell in that way. Um, obviously, with a lot of work, blood, sweat and tears to, to, to secure it, but I think how it came to be was, um, was kind of organic, but also meant to be.
1: Yeah, but you did put in the work, like you said, like you put your blood, sweat and tears into that application and you knew what you wanted to do. So I think after you probably saw that, you're probably going, well, fuck, like it just fucked the inspiration. Like you said, didn't matter where it was, I'm fucking doing it.
2: Absolutely. And And I I mean, look, you know, a big part of my role is running personal branding workshops and talking around, um, you know, getting active on LinkedIn yourself for your own brand, but how that can benefit from an employee advocacy lens. So, you know, quite happily posting and sharing about what your company culture is like, what your day to day is like. And, and I think, um getting exposure to some of those kinds of pieces of content, you know, stalking the people that worked for LinkedIn and looking at what they were saying about it, looking at their tone and their rhetoric of what they were doing each day. Um, you know, I almost said to my hiring manager in my last interview, you, you just need to say yes, because I'm going to be knocking at your door every single role you post if you don't hire me. Like, I've, I've I've made the decision, this is the role I want, this is the company I want it for. So save us both some time and give
1: me the job yeah oh i fucking love that when you know when you know you know you're just you're just going to do it and and it's and it's the confidence as well it's like people if people are knocking down the door saying i want to work for you i trust me i fucking oath come in you know what i mean like you need to be excited about the company you're applying for that's well Mm. in recruitment that's what you tell candidates like one thing know what job you're applying for and and you know, do your research and
0: yeah, heaps of people that don't even know what the company is that they yeah. apply for, are they?
1: Oh, they're, they're just. I need some help. Well, however, it's not the help you need is just you need to figure it out. You need to do the research <laughs> yourself and and really and really like there's no point praying and spraying like spraying and praying, I suppose, and applying for all these different jobs. It's better just narrow down what you're sort of into and and apply hard and direct and and put a lot of effort into that. And because that's what's really going to reap the rewards. And like you said, like earlier like it was wasn't the role it is today like today you're you're doing strategy and you're doing you know workshops and that's insane I suppose at the start when you first started did you ever think it'd get to that point or were you just like oh every day is going to be the same like this is sort of a new sort of role
2: there was there was a really healthy mix when I started and I think um it's been super beneficial for me getting some insight into the more technical side of things because now I know that's there or I know what cogs need to be moved um you know, it's almost like I, I think every business leader should do a tour, to, do a tour of duty, doing the role that the people that they manage do. You know, get get exposure to it for a month, actually know what's going on in the trenches, so that when you're uh, when you're making those those decisions, you know what's resonating down there, right? You know, I think it's it's super important. But um, I've always had a nice, healthy blend and mix, and I think where the business has evolved to, and and where our relationships with, with, with customers have moved to, has uh, has almost um, has almost identified my function, the customer success function, as being really pivotal um, in in terms of carving out time for for perhaps uh, quicker tasks that can be actioned, uh, self-managed, can be actioned at scale by a different team so that our priority and bandwidth is broadened and and opened up for for more strategic conversations. So um, that that evolution's been super beneficial for me. I'm glad I came into the business when I did so that I got some insight into the lower-level technical pieces Um, because I I hate to sit in a meeting and not know what I'm talking about or not at least have exposure to the conversation. So um, it's almost helped that strategic mindset that we're moving to, having that lower level granular lens, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, 100%. Well, Locke and I are like we're all in on on linkedin we launched our podcast with like we, we've mentioned we're trying to tm linkedin first approach you know mm. trademarked huh?
1: trademarked yeah you were <laughs> trying to get the tm we we're like we'll get the linkedin first approach we've done a buddy free linkedin guide we're we're all in
0: but well i, I would, wouldn't mind getting your perspective on what, what trends have you seen um change what's changed over time from when you joined linkedin to where, where we're at today because i feel like the hype train around linkedin and the evolution around it be sort of and from my perspective it's sort of becoming more of a content platform and there's just so much room still so much more room for growth and it's such a i guess there's lots of people on there but in our perspective they use it like they're very locked in it's like a cv it's their resume where i'm very protective of what it is and they're, they're almost they speaking a real yeah it's very yeah. tight and stiff and a bit boring yeah. but like there's so much room to do cool shit i'd love to see what, what your thoughts are and how it's evolved since you joined
2: Robbie mate, you could probably run one of my personal branding workshops for me with that um with that mindset or with that view. I um it's usually one of my first caveats. Um, you know, I, I do a lot of work with um with LinkedIn members, but with recruiters, with hiring managers, talent acquisition teams, um groups of executives on how they should position themselves on LinkedIn, how they should write their profile, how they should write their content. Um the, the number one thing I say. Um, people probably have the word authenticity ringing in their ears after they get off one of my workshops. It's something I I can't mention that word enough when I'm talking about personal branding. Um, uh, the, the way the way that I talk to personal brands, um, you know, it, it's it's the, the LinkedIn terminologies. You know, the quality, the qualities, characteristics, and tone that you express on your profile or through the content that you share and interact with. You know, that's a the nice rigid formal way of of talking personal brand. I I narrow it down to my brand on LinkedIn is speaking for me when I'm not in the room. So whatever presence I bring to this Zoom call, um, whatever presence I I step foot into when I'm running a workshop in person, like seeing me in person, uh, my brand shouldn't differ at all online. So you should be able to get the same resonance and feeling from reading my profile and getting to know me that way or through the content that I share. Um, I very rarely post something without 100 love heart emojis and rainbows and everything else. And that's my personality, right? That's what you're going to get in person. I wouldn't want you to be shocked, connected with me on LinkedIn and not seeing that personality extenuated to a digital form, right? Um, I, a big thing that we try and constantly hammer down on is, is the CV holds its own purpose. It's not going anywhere. The CV is given to a recruiter to, to bullet point some really quick responses that they need. So like how many, how many CVs have you poured over in your time? You know what information you can get from the CV and then you know what information you want to drill down to on LinkedIn and that's the difference. Um, your LinkedIn profile is a digital portfolio of your whole career journey. Your CV is very nuts and bolts. It's very bullet point, quick, concise information for a recruiter. So... Shifting that mindset is, is is a that that's that's fifty percent of my work is, is shifting the mindset not only from how you should use your own profile as a senior executive and as a representation of the business and the culture. Um, if I'm a candidate, I'm going to be stalking you. I'm going to be having a look at how you interact with people, and not just what you write on your profile, but the interactions you have through comments and through liking, etc. So, um, I think that the businesses that do so well with LinkedIn and 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 who who invest? you know, whether it's whatever end of the scale of investment, whether it's a sizable investment or quite a small solution, or even doing it for free, you know, there's a lot of free avenues to still get the same result on LinkedIn. Uh, I think when they start to realise that they can surface this some authenticity, and they can surface their genuine thoughts and feelings, they get a far better cut through at the end of the day, those candidates that rather than spraying out to 50 different companies, but to, to Locke's point or applying directly, they're gonna stay. You're not gonna to need to retrain and rehire someone new in 12 months because they've made such an informed decision that this is where they wanna be. That flag is planted really solidly in the ground versus Tom, Dick, or Harry spraying out to several companies and hoping hoping for a phone call, that's not gonna stick. So um, authenticity would be the, the main word that I use for absolutely anything, whether it's individual branding, whether it's employer branding at a company lens. Um, and I think best analogy I can give is through COVID and how different governments responded to COVID, right? If you think about how the response played out from, from different world leaders across, across every country, across the globe, you could probably name the three or four leaders that have really shone and have really built their credibility. They've got their people behind them. They've also been voted back in through the pandemic as well with a landslide result. Um, And I'm of course, talking about our friend across the ditch, right? I, I use her as such a perfect example of how a company can actually take adversity and, and turn it into a positive thing. You know, Jacinda hasn't backed away from, being super transparent, super real, super vulnerable—you um, know—jumping onto a Facebook live in a hoodie is uh, is something that I never thought I'd see a world leader do. But but here we are, and she continues to be praised because she's authentic and she's vulnerable with her people, and they they pick up on that. So, if you take that same approach to a company or to a business from an employer brand lens, what country do you want to be seen as? What world leader do you want to look like on that on that company stage level? Um, and, and that concept can flow right down to your own personal brand on LinkedIn.
0: Oh, I fucking love that. We we keep talking about we'll, we'll New Zealand. Pe- they come up every episode. The last, hour, the last.
2: <laughs> we want to move there. I think we want to move there. I <laughs> mean, yeah, you've got
1: some room at the avocado farm for a couple of, a couple of boys, a couple of no-hopers. Yeah, right there, you know? <laughs> yeah. But like what you were saying about personal brand, it, it's true. It's the reputation. It's what people say about you when you're not there. So we've found it's been, like, the most um, surprising part for me was the way people interact with me now first, like if they talk to me first, they know they can sort of swear or be themselves. And it's like, oh, we don't have to go through that bullshit, yeah, you know? Yeah. And it, and it just it makes, makes life noise. easy, you know? And they know how to talk to you. It's just easy. Yeah.
0: I'll
2: say I one think, uh, thing I found, sorry, mate, you go. No, Rob, you jump in, mate. I'll
0: just say one thing we found really interesting though, is that for organizations, I guess, who are maybe lagging behind on how personal branding and, and how employees should, be able to have their own voice on LinkedIn. We had one of our episodes that was actually not allowed to go to air, which was a PR's dream. Corporate censorship. Corporate censorship, PR's dream. Locke was was so happy because it was- It was
1: was, like, oh, we're sad, but I'm like this, this could be good, you know?
2: (laughs) But it's, also, it's kind of, that I think that I think that confirms that the podcast has made it right. Like when you've got corporate censorship <laughs> knocking on your door, that's when you've really made
1: it, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good. We're, we're gonna do some like NWA type of photos, but, uh, but for
0: Cody, who's <laughs> episode one, she's she was an amazing she's an amazing human. I feel really sad that we didn't get to put her episode out there because I think she's a, a a huge role model for anyone who's trying to transition careers, and she's doing some amazing things. And to be honest, there was nothing in there that was that was worth censoring, but. <laughs> Yeah, okay, don't, I, don't give it away now. Yeah. But I think it's interesting because it, you look at like a trust factor, and I think we've mentioned it before on the pod is if you trust someone enough to bring them into your organisation, then you should trust them enough to be able to say the right things. that's not going to blow back up in the face of the company that you hire. So
1: you've onboarded properly
0: you've onboarded <laughs> yeah. properly you've given them what here's what we expect from you've hired market. and you've
2: onboarded properly you've invested your dollars wisely right 100 yeah. percent. and <laughs> otherwise it's
0: like I've, we still fear a lot of people we get hip a lot and like i don't really know what to say or i don't know what i'm allowed to say or i don't know how i'm actually allowed to have a personal brand i, I think it's a really interesting topic because for us is we just went all in and we said fuck it we're gonna say whatever we want do whatever we want and we're gonna still be good people because at the end of the day our hearts are in the right place but a lot of people struggle with the how do I juggle having a personal brand, but also still trying to do the right thing by the organization I work for. Do you guys, do you touch on that or is that something that you, you talk about Mate, in your workshops? Absolutely.
2: As, as soon as we crack through the LinkedIn profile not being a CV, that's the next layer that we've got to crack through, right? And, and this is a big thing. I, I don't do personal branding workshops. Um, For a client, for example, so so say for example, you guys blow up and expand to 5,000 employees next year and you need me to come in and do a personal branding workshop for everyone. Um, I'm doing it to definitely benefit your employees. I want your employees to get the same opportunity I've had through having a strong personal brand and that's why I'm so passionate about it. I would not be sitting in the role that I'm in talking about branding if I didn't have a strong personal brand myself. Um, I, I don't have a university degree to fall back on. I've got years of experience to talk to. So that's the only thing that's ever that I'm ever going to carry through. And that's super important for me. Um, but that's not the reason that I book in that session. I book in that session to help you guys as an employer, help your employees become advocates. And that's going to help you benefit the long-term, longer play of your talent acquisitions team, having more informed applications coming through. So it, it's a long play, but... Um, that's definitely the end result is we want your employees posting. So I, I think it's um, th- that fear of posting all behavior is learned. Right. So, so at some point in time, uh, at some point in time, there's been some fear cast towards putting something out there or there's some risk towards posting this or that. So that comes back to a cultural shift that needs to happen within an organisation. And that's something that I start to lay the seed of before we go booking in a workshop and me telling your people to open up the floodgates and start posting. Uh, That's the conversation, you know, a couple of months out of, does your social media policy support this? You know, does your social media policy let people have some empowerment to share their thoughts or feelings or what they're doing in their day if it's relating to their work? Because that's number one piece of red tape Then number two, are you leading from the front? So if you're a HR or recruitment team, are you leading from the front posting and sharing on your own profile? So the people you're connected with say, oh, hey, it's okay. I've seen Matt from the talent acquisition team post and share, so I feel like I can too. Um, There's a couple of pieces at the organisational level that that need to be figured out from a cultural shift lens. And that's... um, Empowerment is is probably the most uh, the most powerful tool an organisation can leverage when it comes to its people, and it's something that we've seen over sink or swim this year. Um, when COVID first started ramping up, and you know we got the note saying we've got one day to go into the office and collect any things, otherwise we're work from home. That was you know six sixteenth of March, I think, was the, the date that everything sort of kicked in. Um, I, I didn't even go into the office. I had my Mac at home. I've got my my work from home. Mac stuff here so I, I, I was like tomorrow is no different to today right I open up my Mac and I start working here I, I just don't get my free breakfast and lunch and office uh, or office fun and you know scooters in the office and Daytona at lunchtime you know so um, so so I, I miss the office right we, we want to go to the office every day because of the environment we've got um, but we're super lucky that we're, we're a company that's built on on personal empowerment one of our cultural pillars is act like an owner so, every single employee of LinkedIn uh, has it has it stamped into them from day one that uh, that based on your intent lock to your point as long as the intent is in the right place, make the decision and act like an owner on it so um you know even with my my rigorous travel that I used to undertake or any client meetings and, and getting from A to b, and um, we book all that ourselves you know we've got a, we've got a tool we, we, cho- we choose what airline, what flight, what hotel, absolutely everything. And, and, and very rarely does someone not make a decision that is the right decision. You know, we don't go booking $4,000 suites at, uh, at the most expensive hotel. We make the right decisions all the time because we're empowered to, um, from, <clears throat> excuse me, from an organisational level, right down to an individual one-to-one relationship with my manager. You know, she sits up in Sydney. So I used to have direct contact and line of sight with her every day when I asked if I could move home to Melbourne um, at the end of my 12 months, my initial 12 months. And the the immediate answer was yes. She said, let me make sure that logistically we can get a couple of bits and pieces sorted. But absolutely, there's no difference between uh, me connecting to the team meeting on a Monday virtually from the Melbourne office or me physically sitting there. Um, so I think having that blueprint already there has been super useful. But what I at least try and instill a little bit of through those workshops is talking to examples like I've just mentioned of, you know, how LinkedIn empowers me. Do you you want your employees to be talking with the same passion I talk about LinkedIn with? This is the key. Let them have some empowerment. Let them build that passion themselves rather than you prescribing what they will be passionate about. And I think we're seeing a massive shift in it. I think, you know, even in our times and our professional careers, if you think back to your first job interview uh, or, or your first role you started in versus now, you know, I, I sit in a T-shirt and talk to senior management, and it'd be exactly the same as if I was in the office, you know. Um, so I think you know, getting into walk into some companies that might be a little bit, uh, a bit historically built and still stuck in a sort of legacy way of working, I, I, I think it's really cool that I get to go in and just at least cut off that top layer of of that view and widen that lens slightly. Um, and and you know, I think the, the role or at least the title of LinkedIn that gives me a little bit of credibility that I get to take into those sessions or workshops or conversations of, of sort of saying, this is how you're doing it. Um, you know, keep on, keep on trying that. You might get a different result. You know, maybe after 50 years of trying the same thing, something might slip and change, or you could try it this way. Right. And this is the result that we're seeing, and this is the result that other tech companies are seeing, you know, and it's, um, it's just shifting perception and mindset one little bit at a time, because we know that's a long play. Um, it's not something that changes overnight or with one conversation.
1: Oh, mate, 100%. You're even looking at sports coaches nowadays. They're all relationship people. It's about empowering your players. And, to, like, you were drafted for a reason. You know, you've got the skill. You, you're in this company for a reason. We, we believe in you. So, like you said, it's a lot harder to train new people up and get them expi- inspired than the ones that you already have there. Just, you know, let let like, give them a bit of slack because it's like having the cool teacher at school, isn't it? It's like you don't want to fuck up for them because they let you you know they let you be yourself they let you express yourself but you still learn you probably find that you learn even way more and you like going uh, to class.
2: absolutely i mean look we um we, uh, we we work very autonomously you know my 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 clients aren't getting taken care of by anyone else so i've got to get that done right i just very luckily love what i do so i enjoy doing it um Sunday afternoon, you know, that Sunday afternoon anxiety, it's a nice, warm, sunny day, and you're having a drink in the park with your friend, and someone says, I wish it wasn't Monday tomorrow. You know, I I just haven't had that feeling in two and a half years. I I look and say, granted, uh, there are some mornings that I wake up after having a couple of drinks, and I think, I wish I didn't have that 9 a.m. meeting, but (laughs) there's not been one day in the last two and a half years that I've thought, I wish I didn't have to work tomorrow. And that's a, a really different feeling that I didn't think would be possible 10 years ago. So, it, it, it's definitely possible if you get that right formula of, of giving people enough empowerment but really clear guidance on what's expected of them. And I think that's the big difference is I, I know what outputs I need to deliver on and not only do I aim to deliver on those outputs, but I then find other cool shit that I can do that, that makes my workload even more difficult But because I love doing it so much. It doesn't seem like work. It doesn't make me stressed. You know, so, so that's the sweet spot. And it's a, it's a hard formula to crack, but it's totally achievable.
0: I think it, for companies who don't start pushing down that pathway, they like, what are their chances of attracting top talent? I would say sl- slim to none because I don't think the net, even, like we're talking from our perspective, but the next generation coming up below us, they're, gonna, they're not going to want anything to do with anyone who wants to censor what they have to say or say, this is what you have to do. Like, <laughs> why would they? they? They've grown up. Thinking they can do or say whatever the fuck they want.
2: I think if you think about the um, you know, if you think about the, the the sort of external factors, we've grown up in a generation, or we're probably the last generation that didn't have an iPhone in their hands straight away. We're probably the, I, I call it, you know, the fish and chip shop generation. We called up the fish and chip shop store on a Friday night and put our order in. You know, you'd, you'd say your family surname and you'd, you'd yell. We we'll still do that. We still got to We still there. Call. Call. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Regional, Mate, bro. Thank goodness. Thank goodness, right? <laughs> I was packing really two bags. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We're, we're still, and, and, but now on Uber Eats, you know, my, my Uber Eats driver not, drops my door bag off at the front door and doesn't even knock. And, and I think that's a thing of beauty. You know, I just get to open the door and my food's waiting on my doormat for me. That transition's happened in our lifetime. So, I, that's only going to amplify, it's not going away. We're not going back to, you know, written invitations or, or, or knocking on a door or calling up a home landline. I can't, I can't remember last time I saw a landline phone. So if you think about hyperconnectivity, because that's really been the game changer, we've all had a mini computer in our hands that we can live stream the US president onto our phone making a speech then and there. You know, it's a, it's a point in time that gives us, it gives us accessibility that we never dreamed of. So with that accessibility comes a view of joining in on that conversation. And, um, and we're the Instagram generation, the Snapchat generation, we're used to talking about and sharing what we do. And that's not just through words, not just through a phone call, it's visually as well. So um, companies that can't adapt to that will probably see themselves sitting with Kodak in a few years because they haven't been able to jump on to the evolution train of, of seeing what the talent market's talking and doing and feeling and thinking. And so without your finger on that pulse, you know, how long is the pulse going to be there for? Well,
0: oh, that was... Hey, mate, you, you explained that really well. I you like explain that. everything
1: really well. I've, I've got the feeling I'm you do your job very, very well.
0: well. That's my job. That's
2: my <laughs> job. That's like they're, they're paying me for the.
1: They're paying me well. Right? Well done. You. So they should, you know? How, well, what do you... So how do you keep up with the trends and sort of, like, on a, stuff related to work, but maybe even personal development as well? Like, how do you learn? Like, what are you looking at? um do you consume content on linkedin as well as youtube and other platforms how do you operate
2: i I think it's um i mean mate i mean the thing with you know like we're we're connected on instagram you know i've got i've got two different worlds i've got i've got many different worlds we all do right we are all sort of you know um it, it should still be that authentic version of you but there are different versions of you you know um I think I've I've always been fairly big in personal development. I think it really closely crosses over to professional development. I think they go hand in hand. Um, I um I, I, for my birthday I just turned thirty back in um, back in lockdown in August, and, and most of the presents I received were books, which I absolutely loved. You know, I, I got mainly books and plants off people because people know any of my mates and my family know. I always say they're the two gifts that keep on giving. You give someone a plant or a book, and that is not a moment in time. That book is gonna be shared around and that plant is gonna become something beautiful. So I, um, I, I, I like to tap into the old school ways, but I also, obviously, I, I work for LinkedIn, so I've got a lot of development that's either um, bespoke and curated and delivered by LinkedIn, or we're heavily encouraged to, to take out time, to take out hours, to take out days. Um, to, to work on ourselves so LinkedIn learning is is an invaluable resource I, I was already a fan of Linda before we acquired Linda and merged it into LinkedIn learning um, podcasts are uh, I think probably the biggest game changer that we've had from a personal development lens in our lifetime um, I'm a big fan of reading a book but I think reading a book needs to be very purposeful you need to be sat down to read the book um, and that's something that we struggle, that's something at least I struggle with back in the old world of go, go, go. Um, the only time I ever got to sink my teeth into a book was traveling. So with that taken away, you know, the, the wait times in lounges, the wait hours on flights, um, I'd be able to chip through a good book every fortnight or so. Um, you know, and, and I, I love reading things like Eckhart Tolle. If you've ever, ever read any Eckhart mm. Tolle, you know, The Power of Now and New Earth, Um Abraham Hicks is a fantastic um, podcast host that I've heard. Hey, I very all hey, hey.
0: Abraham Hicks I tell you the what vortex, the vortex brother. I reckon the vortex, the I, was vortex,
2: sitting, wait, right? I told him about this
1: and I'm like this is Charles Manson shit but I don't care the old bloke sitting next to her Esther Hicks just going bananas on the stage I was like I was sucked down for like two days watching this shit I'm like I'm a, I'm a believer.
0: I was a few red wines deep watching this thing and I was sitting lying on my couch watching the trees float and the thing and sinking into the vortex. I'm like, it's real, it's real, I'm in the vortex.
2: I think, I think with, with anything, you know, a book, a podcast, if you even think about funny business, right, this is just two people's perspective of what you want to project out to the rest of the world, right? So everything has to get taken with a grain of salt. If, if you, If you watch a documentary... That documentary doesn't prove or disprove anything. It is one person's perspective on what they're speaking about in that doco, right? So I think taking that same grain of salt lens with, you know, a- a- any kind of podcast or book when it's pertaining to personal development, I, I think there's something to, to, there's something to garner from every single person's perspective on how you can be better. Um, you-, you create your own perspective on how you're going to put it into action. So I think that's, that's what I try and do is absorb as much as I can from, you know, whether it's in person connecting with people face-to-face or virtually, because, um, you know, I've got a world of amazing people that, I'm, that I can connect with through LinkedIn, you know, people that have been with the business for years that um, as soon as they speak, you know, butter just comes out of their mouth and I just want to absorb every single word of it, um, you know, right down to the resources that we've got available and then a lot of my own pieces that I bring in. So um, I think when you mash all of those different perspectives together, um, you know, I'm not a religious person, but I think there's lots of aspects of every religion that combine to, to how I, I, how any any of my spiritual or religious beliefs operate. So it's much the same for personal development, and I think much the same for professional development, because they, uh, the blend has become more and more blurry over time. And I think you you don't go in and perform your job really well on a Monday if you're not feeling great from Saturday and Sunday. So. Um, yeah, I think I think it's a it's a blend and multitude of things mixed into you making your own uh, formation of a decision and perception.
1: Oh, I love that Frankenstein. Frankenstein, your thoughts. Frankenstein, your influence. It's like it's like what we like. I I think I said it on Todd's podcast, Overdose and Chill, where I was like, we do we do so many podcasts and meet so many interesting people with so many cool stories, and it's like I don't have enough time to sort of sift through it and really dig deep, but it's like run it through my own filter subconsciously, and it's like. I'm going to make more positive things and negative things. Cause I feel like it's just the subconscious things, the things that stick out to me, are the ones I'm going to action straight away. So it feels very natural in that sense. I
0: think we're very aligned with your approach. And our approach is that you be a sponge, learn from everything, but you're going to make it what you want to take out of it. So especially the books that Locke sent me something last, last night, the night before, which was a Jordan, Jordan Peterson keynote, um, which was we talking about people get intimidated from reading books. So, if you go into a reading a book, and, but it, like you mentioned before, it's purposeful. You're that, you're reading it for a reason. But he said that exactly the same thing, podcasts or long-form discussions where some people can get be intimidated from opening a book and going, fuck, I'm going to have to read this. Whereas yeah, people yeah. aren't fearful of going, hey, I can just click play. I can do my jobs. If I'm a truck driver, I can listen to people have a discussion. Or if I'm cooking dinner, I can whack a podcast on. It allows people just to discuss topics in depth. And then you guys you can just take away what you will and if you want to learn more then maybe you go down and explore a different thing or people you listen to a discussion they might recommend a few books you go oh maybe i will go check
2: that one out or maybe i will go check another doco. i think i think the accessibility to information is 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 the biggest game changer that we've seen in our lifetime and that's you know that's what i mean by by us being that that last non-mobile phone generation we've um but, you know, you think about doing your old school projects in grade six and you, you get on, say, Encarta. Do you remember Encarta, those CD-ROMs that, that <laughs> had all of the the, the, the information on it? And, that, and that's how you did your homework, right? The internet didn't exist. You went to a library and got information out of a book or somebody needed to produce it on a floppy disk that you plugged into your computer to connect, right? Crazy, hey. I think, you know, and what, what's progressed in two decades, the fact that, We've got accessibility to absolutely everything. The only danger with that, and something that I try and be really mindful of of cutting through, is saturation of options. And again, the old analogy of, you know, we used to go down to Video Easy at a Blockbuster on a Friday night and pick out five movies, and that in itself would take an hour with your siblings. And, uh, you know, and that'd be your entertainment for the weekend. Now my housemate and I have probably six different streaming services between us and we both sit there just unable to find anything that we wanna watch. So with greater accessibility comes the saturation of options, so it's it's picking up on those sound cues, Robbie. You know, if someone mentions a good book, you he, write that down because there are so many good books out there. Or if somebody mentions a good podcast, um, you know, which then takes us back to sort of an older way of working, which is word of mouth and referrals and everything. So it's yeah. almost like, you know, the pendulum always swings um, and, and we got that saturation of accessibility, but then too many options and we cut through those options going back to the old school reverting, reverting to, to word of mouth or to suggestions and feedback from people. So it's super interesting.
1: Yeah, it's like how sort of chefs plan the menu and stuff now they're like, well, why we don't really need free pages of all these different options. People now are just going to be like, well, I'm just so I don't know what the fucking everything sort of looks good, but if you had like, I don't know, it's probably a sweet spot where they talk a lot about that like pl- like planning menus and stuff like that working in coming from a hospital. You, wanna, you want
2: you want you want to try and I mean you, you usually you know what the best option is, right? You you want to try and cater to as many people but be as concise as possible because where becoming less good at making decisions because we've got too many decisions to make you know Decision fatigue um, is real exactly and you know that's like I, i'm a big believer in i, I chuck on a black t-shirt every day there is a, it's very rare that i will deviate from a black t-shirt it's just my decisions made for me um you know I, and I, I i think i think it was steve jobs with his with his black um his black turtlenecks that said the same thing there's you want to try and allocate your mental bandwidth to decisions that are actually going to make a difference in that day or that week and anything else that you can carve out, absolutely do. But, um, you know, I think I mean, if you're looking at it from a, from a development lens and what's going to be better for me, um, even if you think around diet and exercise, how many different fitness influencers and fitness contributors online have complete juxtaposing views of what's going to work for you or this suggestion or that product... Um, you, know, you, you could spend you could spend you know your lifetime's wages in one day on different options that are going to guarantee results for you in the, on just on Instagram alone. So um, again, I would only i only double down on a plan or commit to something if I've heard somebody else has seen it work or feel it work. So it's um, it's that sweet spot of, of tapping into what's there, but but still making a, a good informed decision. It's the same as what we're talking about with where you're gonna click apply. You know, as long as you, you've had that, mm. that, that, that justification and that, that, that information given to you, you know that that decision's the right one or at least you've been able to make it with some data behind it. Mm.
1: I so. always pick the wrong thing at the restaurant. You know what I mean? I always go for something new and it's always shit. I need you, to just-
0: you got, eggs, you, got, you got poached eggs on toast yesterday. And he, he didn't eat uh,
1: it. Yeah, uh, too much butter on the bread, bro. <laughs> like and again, it. it's all about it's all about
2: that sweet spot, right? You can't have too much butter. It has to just be enough no, yeah. it to detract from the yolk. Like, it was it almost embarrassing,
0: amazing. though. You know, like you can't you can't order that and still have like two full bits of bread. And like, <laughs> like, how
2: was it?
1: Oh, beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> I like, oh, I'm cool. a, I've just got the, the the diet of a bird. Yeah, <laughs> I just this, pick.
0: <laughs> this has been a belter of a conversation. I've absolutely loved it. Before we let you go, though, I want to get, for people, we have got a mix of people. So we do, like you mentioned, we put a lot of content out on LinkedIn, but we do have people who follow us on Instagram and a lot of people do hit us up in, about where to start on LinkedIn. So I wouldn't mind just getting your, like, off the top of your head, maybe, like, your three to five, like, quick tips of where to start if, you, if you're new to LinkedIn.
2: Yeah, mate. I mean, look, where to start is always with your profile. Worry about, I liken your profile to moving into a big, beautiful new house. Um, you, you want to decorate it first right you want to get your pillows get you get your paintings hung up have the plants around before you invite people over so it makes sense right decorate the house that you're in first and make sure that it is decorated to the point that you feel very comfortable and it's very you your decorations and internal decor should mirror you entirely so um, and the best point of call with it is is Talk to your profile or talk to the reader of your profile as though you're talking to your friend about what you did at that business or what you contributed or worked on at that organization or in that role. Um, let your reader get to know you. Think about the reader digesting your profile, not about the recruiter, not about the company, but think about the person that's getting to know you through your profile. That's probably the the, the most high-level um, personal branding in, in one-minute workshop I can provide. But, um once you've got that house decorated and you're starting to send those invites out, be really curated and really intentional around who you want coming over to your house, right? So, so you want these people to build some familiarity with you because when they know that that's where you live, they've got your address. And, and, I, and I think it's much the same. I've done a lot of uh, retrenchment and redeployment workshops throughout COVID. So, you know, supporting a lot of customers that have made a couple of hundred people in their workforce redundant. And um, I said, it's an opportunity, it's the next step, it's a change, so it's going to be hard, it's not gonna be easy. Um, what in your life has is good currently that's transpired from an easy day? Probably not much, so you know there's gonna be something great on the other end of it. Um, but, but you know, that main point of call, think aspirationally. So what, what companies do you wanna work for? Follow them, because you following them is them having your address, they know where you live. And like you know as well as I do as a recruiter, Um, first point of call for any organization or, or any business is tapping into familiar tissue and territory right so you go for the warm contacts you go for the warm leads so I think LinkedIn's super interesting because you can curate your own your own identity on the platform you get to build out your brand with your profile but then who you invite over to visit that house is completely your decision as well so The main point of call is make it a place that you want to be every day. Curate your feed of the information coming through to you to make sure that it's relevant. You know, World Economic Forum is probably one of my favorite pages to follow. I love the content they produce. You know, I follow a lot of uh, a lot of uh, social and environmental uh, economical groups that post and share about things that I'm interested in. So rather than it being a social media feed full of products that I don't want. or uh, or products that my housemate and I were discussing last night that have all of a sudden appeared in my feed. and uh, It's information that I want to come back to and absorb. So my experience in my home is a nice one. So I think that's the first most fundamental piece is is get comfy with where you're at. Get really, really comfy and nice and knuckled down and then start to, to send those invites out and start to let people know where you live when you're proud of the decoration you're in
1: you've uh you've told that beautifully i feel like we've got a lot of friends who've been asking us you know where do i start like liz watson for example you know what i mean like we've been telling her to jump on linkedin australian vice captain netballer and she's and like it's just the opportunities that's there so i feel like for people like her and we've got other friends too who in education as well you know like there's a lot of i suppose you'd, you'd be the best person to to answer this like new sort of industries jumping onto LinkedIn like education and, and all these different industries. Is that sort of, are you seeing the tidal wave coming now with all these different industries?
2: Mate, we've, um, look, it's been a slow burn since I started two and a half years ago. You know, when I started, we we're on about 600 million members globally. We're up to 722 million now currently. So um, the the rate of growth has been exponential this year in particular, but, the, the, you know, growth is a vanity metric. You know, an extra an extra five, 50 million member profiles, that means nothing. Um, how highly engaged those member profiles are does mean something. And, uh, and you know, we look at active sessions, we look at how many times a person's logged in per week or how many minutes they've spent on their feed per day. And the quality of those sessions has grown so much throughout this year. And it's it's mainly because our offering to the marketplace has grown and pivoted with what's been going on externally, you know, so there's, to your point, Locke that you mentioned earlier, LinkedIn is not just a place that you come to when you want to apply for a job anymore. It's a place that you come to, to absorb content, to to connect with people, to develop yourself, you know, so there's a lot more use cases and purpose for the platform, um, which is great for us because, you know, we've, we've solidified our standing and we expand our standing constantly. But to your point, that opens up other pathways and avenues for, you never would have thought you'd be hosting this podcast that was centered around LinkedIn 10 years ago, five years ago, you know, so it's, it's, it's constantly agile and fluid and opening up new opportunities. Um, I would always want to be one of the first people in that new opportunity world if I had the chance to. So if it was an emerging industry, if it was an emerging conversation topic, I'd love to be one of the first voices, not the 50th. So best advice would be get in just you just get in get your foot in the door and much like everything start to crawl just start to crawl very slowly before you know it you'll be running but uh but we didn't start sprinting you know so so fall over a couple of times and don't be afraid of it
1: love
0: that trains leaving. get on board
1: i love that and i love the other point you raised too with about following the people and following the companies that you want to learn more and absorb about because there are a lot of shit out there and if you can sort of um, you know, zone in on on sort of your world and what you're interested in. I think that's same as Instagram, same as any other platform. Like we were talking about it today, we need to go through and really figure out do a big cull. Well, it's just like it's like you're saying. Like you look at it all day, every day. Like we spent like we're not going to lie, we spent a lot of time on there. So it's like well. I don't need to. I'd love to show. see your
2: screen time. I would love to see your That's screen fun, time. Nah, it's <laughs> it's time. I look at mine and
1: I'm like, I I can't tell anyone this. You're gonna go blind <laughs> my eyes. You're gonna fall it's out. My head. Six hours a day, I reckon.
2: I think. I think uh, to, to your point, like, and, and we, my final little word for you is, we've got the ability to curate absolutely everything in our lives. I'm a big believer in you know what we can focus on, what what we can control. There's a lot we can't, but. Um, our day-to-day experiences and how we're perceiving them that's what we can control your feed on linkedin your feed on instagram uh the, the meetings that you put in for the day you curate all of that so make sure it's an experience that you want to be navigating through um, I, I think you're going to come out the other end of that experience far better if it's something you've made the decision to curate the way you want it to be
0: love that have the awareness that that that's how the platforms work and that's how they exist. But you are in control. You don't have to see all the crap all day, every day. You can quite easily click the button and, and
2: get rid of them. Yeah, the machines haven't won yet, mate. The machines haven't uh, Robots, are, <laughs> the robots haven't
0: taken dry. over yet. Not
1: yet.
2: <laughs> Soon,
0: though.
1: Yeah, a few videos have got me a bit scared. <laughs> I was watching the Elon Musk like this blokes. Can we control robots? I don't know. The chips in the bag. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Leave that for December. Yeah. We've got to get through this election first. Leave that for December.
1: (laughs) Oh, mate. Well, it's been absolutely awesome to sit down and have a chat with you, mate. um, And hear your story about, you know, how you got into LinkedIn, um, a few tips and tricks for people at home and what actually customer success legends actually do. So um, I feel like our listeners are in for a treat with this one.
2: Yeah, 100%. Absolute pleasure closing out my week with you, lads. It's been a long time coming. Absolute pleasure kicking it off with you. What an episode.
1: Honestly,
0: we talk about LinkedIn a lot. Probably too much for someone who's not sponsored by LinkedIn. But yeah, hey,
1: Give us some kickbacks and we might just spook it up a little bit more, you know?
0: <laughs> Seriously, like, uh, we, we do talk about LinkedIn so much. And his practical tips and advice, not for just for people, but for organisations and their approach to personal branding and corporate culture and Uh, the growth of LinkedIn as a platform and what it's going to be in the future. Uh, Just feel very lucky to have sat down with such a good human and chewed the fat in a Friday afternoon. And this has been released not Friday afternoon, it's Monday now, but uh, (laughs) I hope that you've all enjoyed this and taken some nuggets of wisdom away from the great man.